0: You are listening to the Birth Bruja Podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. Put on your face, know your place Shut up and smile, don't spread your legs I could do that, but no one knows me Listening to episode 19, part four of the Supporting Survivors Who Birth series—a dive into the intersections of sexual violence and birth work, and what we can do to best be of support for survivors. In this episode, we speak with birth worker, single mother, and sexual assault survivor advocate Melissa Lucchesi for powerful storytelling of her hospital birth experience as a survivor of sexual assault. If you haven't already. I encourage you to stop this episode and listen to the first two parts of this series so you can listen with a strengthened ability to recognize the aspects of survivorship that surface throughout this birth story. Interested in learning more about supporting survivors? This series is in celebration of my upcoming training through Cornerstone Doula trainings called Supporting Survivors Who Birth. It's a four hour online intensive with an anti oppression based exploration. Into the intersections of sexual violence and birth work. In this training, you will deepen your understanding of the workings and impact of sexual violence, unveil the ways in which trauma can manifest for survivors through birth, pregnancy, and postpartum, embody these practices through role-playing to feel what it can be like to provide support in the moment, and identify and strengthen your abilities to best be of support. The first two parts of this series are a sneak peek into the training. Go to birthbruja.com to see a detailed description of what the course will cover. Without further delay, let's dive in. Big, big welcomes to Melissa Lucchesi. Thank you so much for being here. To start us off, please begin by introducing yourself. Where are
1: your people from? And what are you doing these days? Well, my name is Melissa Lucasey, and I am um, first and always um, mama to an amazing bright light named Gray. I'm a single mom, and I am, I've i been on this mama ship journey for seven and a half years. he will be seven and a half uh, in October, um, which seems like a lifetime and also a blip. I've been working professionally in the trauma field for about 15 years. I founded a nonprofit, Voices Inc, that helps survivors to heal through creativity, arts, crafts, creative movement, yoga, um, and connection with other survivors. And I've also done training um, for about as long with hundreds and hundreds of yoga instructors and birth and breastfeeding professionals and other types of professionals, so that they can do their work through a trauma-informed lens. I myself am a birth worker, and my business is Moonstage Mama Birth and Breastfeeding, and I operate my work as a fertility doula, uh, birth and uh, prenatal and birth doula, and a postpartum doula, as well as lactation counselor, all through a mindful, compassionate, trauma-informed lens.
0: Thank you. So with that being said, are you ready to just dive into your story? I am. Thank you, whenever you're ready.
1: Um, I'm a sexual violence survivor and my experience with, um, with sexual violence started when I was five. I had a neighbor who exposed himself to me and instantly that five-year-old little girl Self, took all of that on as her shame and buried it deep down inside it was my shame I didn't tell anybody I was embarrassed and I put it on myself um, and I went through life with a lot of the what I call the little T's like the little traumas the big traumas with this undercurrent of sexual violence of power and control uh, when I was in college, I was raped by somebody I had dated. And then years later, I was abducted and raped by a man I didn't know. Each of these traumas for me built upon one upon the other. And they all just have weaved their way into the narrative of my life and who I am and how I operate. So a, a lot of this too has um, informed how I operate with with all people, and especially people in the birthing space. I tried to look at everything through a trauma-informed lens because I know how deeply it affected my experience. For me, looking through my survivor lens and looking at my prenatal labor, birth, and postpartum experience through that lens has been really interesting. Prenatal visits for me were really, really difficult when I was being told that I had to have pelvic exams. So when that came up as a thing, I had um, I decided to use um, an OB, and my aunt was a labor and delivery nurse. So I thought it was a a good plan to go with her practice so that she could, you know, help me through the ins and outs and of various things. I went a couple of times during my prenatal experience for different things that I was you know a new new pregnant person I had never done this before so there were things that I thought like oh gosh is something going on and in in those times I would go in to be checked and each time it was just it was you know we do this we do this we do this I wasn't told what was going to happen ahead of time it was just Things were done to my body without me knowing what was going on. And I know that they were checking me and I know that they were checking to make sure my baby was okay. But for me, through that trauma lens, it was so triggering and so re traumatizing. At one point, I had my membrane stripped without my consent. I was pressured for induction well before my anticipated due date. And All of this felt like the power was being taken from me, my voice was being diminished. My bodily autonomy wasn't being respected. And I wasn't even asked to give consent before things, let alone not having consent respected. Uh, So that came into play where the the doctors and um, the medical professionals in that experience felt really powerful and I felt really, really small. And at the same time, I was dealing with a co-parent who was an ex-partner. He was awful for me. (laughs) So a lot of those, that emotional stress of having him in the shadows and having that sort of power struggle was so deeply traumatizing during my pregnancy. So leading up to to birth, I, I had my birth plan in place and all of the things that I was hoping for. And I was hoping for a birth without an epidural. I was hoping for a vaginal delivery. I was hoping for you know, low or no you know, in- interventions. And I made it pretty clear to my, my team of, of medical professionals going, uh, going up to it. I had a really strong, amazing squad of women in my life my mom, who was like my best friend in the world, Um, my best friends, my aunt, who was the labor and delivery nurse. And I also had a man in my life who was so, so, so dear to me, who flew in to support me and help me through this experience and to be there for me if I needed anything. So having them was, was really, really awesome and empowering. I ended up having a really extremely long labor, and it was 62 hours in total. And I wasn't progressing very much throughout. I labored a lot at home because I was hoping to avoid, you know, what I was hearing as the cascade of interventions that could happen once I got to the hospital. My doctor actually even came to my home to check me and told me, Hey, you know, don't go in yet. You're not far enough along. My aunt came to check me a couple of times and I just really wasn't dilating. My, my body was just not, it was not opening up. Once I got, you know, the contractions got really regular and it was like, okay, we, this has been some time we've got to go. So I, I went in, um, into the hospital. May I jump in with a question right here? Yes.
0: So at this point, uh, while you were laboring at home up until the transition to the hospital, what was your mental and emotional state like?
1: A lot of it was I had prepared. Like I'm, I'm a Virgo. I'm super Type A. <laughs> <laughs> I love lists. <Lyft. laughs> I thrive with lists. I prepared for this, and I had read the books, and I had gone to the classes, and I had the things that I thought were going to work for me. And once I was in it. It was almost like it was almost an experience of dissociation mm. um, during those really intense contractions, where it was really hard to stay grounded in my body. And my body, when I would ground myself in, it felt like my body was just was betraying me. Like at all, it was the worst pain in the whole world, mm. and it was hard for me to to find comfort in the spaces I thought I'd find comfort. I think mainly because I didn't realize how emotionally triggering I wasn't prepared for this emotional triggering that would happen during this experience. I thought, oh, most beautiful day of my life, right? I'm going to be fine. I have so much uh, healing under my belt. I have years and years of of trauma healing and doing trauma work with others. I, I got this. And I didn't... Um, I didn't prepare for this opening up or this bursting open of, of my, my soul in becoming, in becoming a mother and um, what that would bring trauma-wise for me. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it was like, it was like super emotional and um, un- a lot of unexpected kind of stuff coming up.
0: Thank you and so at this point you uh, were transitioning to the hospital so how long had you been laboring
1: i had been laboring about 50 maybe 48 hours at that point wow um yes <laughs> um and i i felt like it was super primal to me and i still was very connected to my baby and i I just felt this, um, this urge to protect him and to keep him inside of me because I was so scared for what his story would be like once he came out. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew I could protect him there. Um, So once I got to the hospital, It was a lot, not pressuring for an epidural, but a lot of asking. Like people were saying they felt bad for me and they were checking me and coming in to check me. And I really wasn't able to cope with being checked. I outed myself as a survivor repeatedly. I had like in my birth plan, I had that I was a survivor. And I also had like a one sheet paper that I had just in case they weren't going to read my birth plan. They'd see on here that. Like, SOS, survivor here, please you know, tell me what you do before you do it. And I didn't want to have to talk about it. I didn't want to have to be reminded of the worst days of my life when I was trying to have this experience that was supposed to be the best day of my life. And yet I still, time after time, had to be like, hey, trauma survivor here. And um, did they listen
0: once they were reminded or once they saw the sheet?
1: They were they were more in the birth space. They were more mindful and more compassionate mm-hmm. um, once they knew. So they would take their time. They would tell me what they were doing, but it was a lot of like we've got to check. We have to check you. We have to check you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that too, coupled with like being in the worst pain that I had physically experienced, and then. Having to be checked during these, like during these contractions, just it—it was sending me into, I don't know, it was sending me into me me into some like dissociative zone that was just didn't feel didn't feel safe. So they kept telling, and they kept saying like, "Oh, you're not progressing. You're not really (sighs) progressing." And to me, as as a you know, somebody who grew up in a female body and, you know, identifying as I'm a woman, just that alone. And then me being a trauma survivor, I was hearing, you're not good enough. You're not doing good enough. Your body's not good enough. Right. Um. So that was just, you know, that was a lot to bear. And then I started hearing, well, she's going to have to, I'm telling my mom, oh, she's going to have to have a a C-section. She's not, she's not progressing. She's going to have to have a C-section. And I hadn't been at the hospital very long um, when that talk started. I had been laboring a really long time, but, you know, they didn't really know. And I was being told, oh, she's just not progressing and she's not coping. She's not coping well, so she's going to have to have (laughs) a (laughs) C-section. So I... 52 hours into my labor, I agreed to an epidural. And I for a while I felt like I had failed. Um, I took that on as oh, you gave up, you failed. And then having processed, you know, doing birth work and processing my own birth experience, I've come to recognize that as what we call a compassionate epidural, where if you if you are having a hard time coping emotionally, or if it's a really long labor, or for whatever other thing is going on, where you just say, I'm, I'm, I need I need some support in this way," it's compassionate. Mm-hmm. So once I had that epidural, I was able to physically disconnect from my body, and then I could zoom in and emotionally connect back in spiritually connect back in and my body magically opened up and 10 hours later my son was born in the most gentle beautiful birth after six pushes super gentle um, entry into the world um, yeah <laughs> I know that there's
0: definitely more we're going to dive into but just because your storytelling is so multi. It's so nuanced and multifaceted. I, I want to ask questions along the way because I know I'm not going to remember towards the end. Oh, no, please do. But the way that you articulated the use of the epidural as a tool was so powerful because as, as you're referencing, so many folks attribute the epidural as like, that's a, that's a sign that you lost you know, that you gave up. There's such like this intense negative connotation when you and I know as birth workers, especially there's a time and a place where that is the compassionate move, the empowered move to make. But the thing that you described that I haven't heard too often is the way in which it enabled you to take a step back only to then take multiple steps forward into this birth experience And as birth workers, I feel like it's so important to highlight that because so many folks attribute the epidural, again, in a negative way to be, oh, you're completely checking out of your birth experience when that's not at all what happened here. And it's so powerful and it's so beautiful. And thank you so much for highlighting this in such a way.
1: Yes, I, I'm, I'm happy to. And I, I hope birth workers will hear that and say, because I know, you know, we want to help people to, you know, quote unquote achieve or reach their goals in the birth space. But I think one of the biggest goals is helping people to really attune to the things that their body is telling them and their spirit is telling them. Yes. And when the body can't cope, you know, or the body is just saying, oh gosh, I need more support physically. There are places for blossoming. Mm-hmm. There's the emotional blossoming, the spiritual blossoming that can happen. Even if there is, it needs to be, or there is a, a physical, a physical disconnect, because we're so much more than just our physical bodies, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of these things.
0: Absolutely. So literally, you just gave birth to your son, and then how was the after-birth experience? How was how were things from there?
1: I always say like I'm an out loud survivor. Like I'm always like out loud with my story, comfortable sharing, and I'm always fighting for everybody um, who needs who needs a good fight. But my, my son was taken from me. I I he was born. It was beautiful. He latched really well and nursed for a while, and then. They took him from me because his temperature had dropped. I'm like, looking back, I'm like, oh mm-hmm. gosh, like I wish I felt comfortable using my voice in those spaces because I, I had used my voice so much and had to use my voice so much in the prenatal space and the birth space that once that, once he was here, I was like, whew, like time, time out. And so they took him from me. and. Um, it felt really uncomfortable to have him away, but once once he came back, I then I didn't let him out of my sight. So, yeah. and I had a really great postpartum experience in the sense of connect connecting to him. I really truly did fall in love with him. I know it's not everybody's experience, but I fell in love with him. You know, love at first sight. Like he just he was so magical and wonderful to me, and I had also had this ongoing custody and co-parenting situation that did not feel feel safe for me. So there, while I didn't have, you know, a traditional, you know, what a postpartum depression or anxiety might look like, I had this experience that was looming that really colored a lot of my postpartum experience, but also at the same time I was really falling in love with my body in this new way. And I was seeing how awesome and amazing, all the amazing things that it could do. Like it, it grew and birthed to this baby and now was keeping him alive with just the milk that my body was making. And I was like, wow, my body is really awesome mm. in spite of like all of these things that it had been through. I, you know, was just, I was so used to when I thought of my body thinking about my trauma experience or thinking my thinking of myself only as a sexual being. And then I also was here with this, it felt like a new body that was just, that was growing into a mama and really, um, it helped me to really be compassionate for myself. It's of course an ongoing journey, but being compassionate for this mama bear and, mm. Who is birth, birthed under really difficult circumstances and who fell in love with her son all the same?
0: Do you mind if I launch into some questions? No, please do. Okay. As a survivor myself, I haven't had the honor of birthing a human yet, hopefully. And also, as someone who is relatively out with my survivorship, one of the things that I constantly think of when I am daydreaming about being pregnant and preparing for that journey is the balance of being out with my story to enable me to have a, a more empowered birth experience while also trying to avoid the taking care of all the reactions. Did you prepare for that piece so that you came in with,
1: with firm boundaries or did you just navigate that as it came? That is so excellent, and it's excellent to be thinking about in advance because I didn't prepare for what that would be like and it I was so focused on what is my experience going to be like, and am I going to be reactive in any way that you know I was just like coping with that my own moving pieces, and my mom was huge, huge in filling and the spaces where my co-parent had, had left. Um, She showed up to birth classes with me and she was there from, you know, she was there as I labored and she was there. She was the one who cut the cord. (laughs) Um, She was good at advocating for me too. but I think I didn't realize how, it stirred up so much inside of her own mama bear self. Mm. She knew of my trauma and she had been, you know, she had handheld me through a lot through that survivorship journey. Um, and she knew of what I was dealing with, with my co-parent and held my hand wildly through that. And it was stirring up so much in her too, that, it both created like this amazing, like kick ass bond that she has with my son Mm -hmm. deepened our connection, um, you know, as mother and daughter, but also, you know, I, I don't think I had prepared for her own or had helped her to even prepare for what might come up. And then the same with like, I found myself taking care in my head, a lot of other people wanting to make sure that Everybody felt seen and heard in that space. While you're laboring or in, in preparing, in both preparing and laboring, like just wow. being like, "Oh gosh, am I have I talked to this person enough? Have I have I called this person? Have I done this?" And I wish I had really sunk in and gone into exactly what would work just for me. Not worried about my co-parent. Not worried about the story that I'd be telling, mm-hmm. 20, you know, to, to my son twenty years. From from now, but really, it's sunk into what's going to work for me and what's going to work for the, these beautiful loves in my life who have shown up mm-hmm. for me.
0: Well, I think that speaks to something that you reference, which is for folks that are socialized as female, it's so ingrained in the pat in our behavior patterns to tend to others, and so yes. this <laughs> this very much right, like and to not just tend to others, but to look to others for direction. You know, to dictate our actions and, and even our emotions. So it makes sense that in such an incredibly primordial, instinctual space, even there and slash especially there, you're still tending to those that you care about. Yeah. And so I guess, kind of um, tracing back along the timeline, would you please speak more to how you wove in? your survivorship into your planning for your birth preferences and the way that you wanted medical staff to treat you in the birth room?
1: Um, What I did was I wrote, like I had a lot of the, you know, standard things that, you know, I want this, I want to avoid this, you know, that we put into birth plans for, for anybody, regardless of a trauma history. But the spaces where I talked about being a survivor, I specifically asked to be told what was going on ahead of time. Um, what really boils down to informed consent, which should just be a natural right of every human body that's right. birthing. Mm-hmm. But for for me, I, I just wanted to be told, like, okay. This is what I'm going to do. Are you okay? And to be check check in along the way as you tell me what you're doing. That was really important to me. And in the prenatal space, that just was so over their head, like they just couldn't even understand it enough to sink in and to do it. Mm. So in the birth space, I felt like I had to write it in, write it in short terms too, just in case, and also say it and then it was done. Yeah. Jumping into
0: postpartum, I know it's really common for survivors to have a full spectrum of experience. On one end of the spectrum, uh, I've heard folks describe having a lot of hypersensitivity to just being touched so often. Because there's a lot of touch with babies and cuddles, and and then if there's other folks taking up your physical space and mental emotional space, mm-hmm. uh, so I know some folks they've described that their tolerance to to constant touch and stimulation and people taking up their their space is being significantly lowered, and then on the flip side, I've heard folks described having a, a heightened state of needing more physical comfort, emotional comfort, right, needing others to be there more present did any of this play a part of your postpartum experience
1: yes i um with my with my baby i felt i wanted a lot of closeness and i think it was like a lot of that protective piece too coming into play so i wore him a lot in you know a sling or a wrap and um we nursed it felt like endlessly but i was also grateful to do that and you know happy happy with that experience. Um, I also, an, an interesting piece from for me, having worked with lactation clients who have had an experience with um, sexual violence, and then looking at my own lactation experience, some people will say that nursing just is, it feels way too uncomfortable. It's not okay. Uh, nursing at night feels really uncomfortable. Mm. For me, and I don't know if it was like, this like honoring of my body and what it was doing or not having had my breasts as a part of any of my sexual violence experiences. Like they were null and void in the experiences that I have had. Mm -hmm. Um, or if it was like a combination, but I really loved nursing and, um, loved that experience for one of the things I think that came up for me. I had a lot of people in my space and I was really grateful for that because single parenting an infant is really lonely. And even, you know, having other mom friends who have partners, you know, you might see them during the day, but then at home, you go home at night and it's you and baby. So that was, I was happy to have the people in my space. Um, and I, I found myself, because I was holding him all the time and nursing him all the time, my mom would come over and she'd make me food. And at the time, I don't know what it was, but she would make these cheesy eggs that I just, I just kept wanting them. It was like a postpartum craving, but I think it was just the craving for being cared for and having, you know, my mom come, you know, come back to care for me. What were other supportive things
0: in place that were most helpful for you during this postpartum time?
1: Um, I went to, a, a, from the time I was pregnant, um, maybe 12, 16 weeks pregnant, I started going to La Leche group meetings, you know, the local breastfeeding meetings. And I that was really critical for my mental health and well-being because it got me out of the house, it got me around other parenting people, and it allowed for this space of um, of support and just like cheering each other on. Mm. So that was really important. And I'm just like I'm a get up and go kind of person, so just having the having people to do that with, having people to just like go out to lunch with, take walks with, um, go to the mall was important too. So I never. Felt too, too alone, too alone to sink into anything that might, you know, any of the icky stuff that might be creeping up. Mm. Um, I had a lot of people to help. If you could
0: speak to your younger self who is at the very beginning of her pregnancy journey, if you could speak to her and give her advice on things to prepare for or deepen or change, what would you say?
1: Oh wow! Hearing on it, that one. <laughs> yeah, I know they just can't. And you don't have to
0: answer it if you don't want to. No, That's it's
1: lovely. Like, okay. It's a it's a lovely way to think. And I have been doing like a lot of self work of like looking at all the versions of myself and you know calling them home and and telling them how loved they are. And I think I would do that. I think I would I would tell that newly pregnant person who was about to embark on a journey that would just completely emotionally tear her open for for good and for not good (laughs) it would just care, but in the end for good I would tell her that you got this you really do even in the moments that you are going to think that you don't you've got this and you are good and you are worthy and you are stronger than you Ever, ever have known. And everything that's ahead of you is for a deep purpose. And you might not want to hear it today, but just sink into compassion on the daily with yourself throughout this pregnancy, knowing that you are exactly where you need to be and you are thriving exactly in the way that you and your beautiful little guy need you to. And continuing
0: that thread of wisdom and vulnerability to close episodes. I love to invite my guests to share a closing message or or words of wisdom for our listeners.
1: I think I, I always tell trauma, trauma clients, you did what you need to do to survive and it worked because you're here. You survived. You're surviving. It's often so important for for people to hear to allow them to have had their experience and to honor it. And I feel like in the birthing space, it's, it's important too. you. We do what we need to do to get through. We, whatever that is, we might have trauma creeping up. We, we, we might have things that were unexpected, but we do what we need to do to get through. And if you just hold that, Hold yourself in this light of compassion and honor what is yours. Honor the, each piece, each thread in your larger narrative. Know that you have absolutely every right to informed consent, having your boundaries respected. My, my doula tagline is your body, your birth, your baby. And that's exactly what it is. This is really, really critical stuff to sink into. You deserve safety and choice and compassion, and love and respect and care in every single part of your parenting journey. Oh, 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 I can't
0: the music you heard in today's show is entitled Quiet by Milk. Deep gratitude to Melissa Lucchesi for joining me in today's episode and to We Rise Cultural Productions for assistance in production. Go to birthbruja.com to learn about upcoming trainings, mentorship circles, and more. Follow me in social media at birthbruja to continue the conversation. I've been your host, Eric Guajardo Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude.